This episode is brought to you by Rumble Up. Did you know that 90% of text messages are read within the first three minutes? That's right. Stop counting open rates or dialing phone numbers that never connect. Instead, send a text. Rumble Up is the most advanced peer to peer texting platform, driving real conversations between real people. That's right, real. So, whether you're a candidate running for office, a small business, a corporation, or a nonprofit organization, Rumble Up can help you launch your own texting campaigns. Simply visit www.rumbleup.com to get started today. That's www.rumbleup.com and get started today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not Your Average Feminist, a podcast for feminists of the future. We may not be your average feminist today, but tomorrow we will be. I'm Amanda. And I'm Sarah. And this week, Christina has the week off. Lucky her. I know, but we are excited to have our first interview. So get ready. Today, we are extremely pleased to welcome our very first guest to the podcast, Ms. Janelle Broderick. Janelle is no stranger to the world of Republican politics. Her career has taken her from Alaska to Hawaii to New Mexico and to Washington, D.C., where I first met her a year and a half ago. I couldn't be more excited to have her on the show to discuss her life and experiences as a real-life woman in the GOP, as well as her take on the party's standing with female voters. So without any further ado, let's get started. So Janelle, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, So I would like to just start at the very beginning. So can you tell us um, where you grew up, where you went to school, and what did you study? Sure. Um, And I should (laughs) say from the outset that um, I probably have a very non-traditional path. Um, And so by no means, I hope that nobody's going to listen to this and, and think that they need to check the boxes that I did because I think my route has been very circuitous um so but uh grew was born and raised in alaska um my parents though um uh their faith is very important to them they're christians they worked for a christian missionary organization and that organization then meant that uh, we traveled around um as young kids uh for several years so um probably by the time i was 11 i had lived in uh, I'd had um, started in Hawaii and then lived in South Korea for a little while and Saipan and Guam um, and a few states in between had done probably a mission trip already um, to Mexico at a very young age and then um, my dad saw the wisdom in kind of having one stable base for my sister and I to grow up in so we returned to Palmer Alaska a very small town um, Sarah Palin kind of put it on the map um, or that, that area, at least, um, from that region, uh, probably about an hour outside of Anchorage. So, um, yeah, so I grew up in Christian 
uh, school, then went to the local public school, um, and then uh, actually went into doing some of the same mission work that my parents did right out of high school. Um, I am a first-generation college graduate, um, and so I think that some of the avenues and opportunities uh, that are commonplace or that seem um, like no-brainers to a lot of kids these days, um, I just didn't even know about them. Um, that's through nobody's fault except my own. Um, I, you know, I didn't. My parents hadn't gone to college either, so it wasn't as though they could say, "Hey, um, you know, make sure that you get an internship and you do this, and then you do this, and then you go to college." Um, my again, my my upbringing was more. Um, of that faith-based, like, when you leave um, high school, maybe you should consider about where you can serve. Mm -hmm. And so I spent about five or so years with uh, Youth with a Mission, which is um, a non-denominational parachurch organization, um, and that was what first moved me to Hawaii, and that's where I fell in love with the state. So, um, yeah, and then from there decided that that while I loved what I was doing, um, some of my work with them took me to India repeatedly, um, South Pacific, uh, Thailand, etc. But there was something inside of me that really wanted to learn um, in a more traditional format. And so I... Uh, went to a junior, a small junior college. Uh, my parents at that time were living in um, uh, a small town in southern Colorado. So okay. I went to a small junior college there. Um, and then it, there's no rhyme or reason for this, but I ended up actually completing my degree um, at the University of Southern Mississippi. Oh, wow. And um, it was at that point that I kind of uh, fell in love with the, the history and the languages of Eastern Europe and uh, Russia specifically. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you majored in um, those Russian studies, and you double majored? Yeah, so, so. I so my degree um, at the bachelor's level was in history, oh, and right. I had an emphasis in Eastern European studies So why Russia. did you study that, and what did you want to do with you it? You know, I, I don't know. It was, an, it was just kind of an interest. Um, and I once had a, and I and I wasn't, quite sure how to go about choosing a major, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember having a conversation with a professor, and I kind of had some angst about being in a, you know, a, a, an academic path that was in history. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I loved learning, but I just wasn't sure if that was, you know, something that I could apply to an actual career (laughs) after. (laughs) Um, And and I remember he was a Christian and he said one thing to me that I thought was uh, really important. He said, don't worry about your gift, your giftings that you accumulate along the road will make room for you. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that. yeah, That's and cool. that was at that was kind of at a pivotal time where I think I was even like looking at accounting or maybe a more traditional um, something that didn't fit my personality at all, but I just thought, "Oh, I bet accountants get work." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so so he kind of he he kind of released me um, to be able to continue to study what I wanted to do. And I thought, all right, well, I'm going to do it. And, you know, I I might not ever get a job using it, which is absolutely true, Mm -hmm. by the way. Um, But I, you know, it's it's there that you learn to write and you learn to form uh, coherent arguments and you learn to research, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then by the time then that I left with my bachelor's degree, I knew that I wanted to get a master's. And the, uh, 
the weakness in my uh, CV at that point was that I hadn't done any language training. And so I knew enough about that. I enrolled in Middlebury College, which okay. is um, kind of recognized as, as uh, one of the best language um, programs in the country. They do intensive study through the summer, et cetera. Um, and their programs are advanced enough um, that that kind of took the place of, you know, a, a couple years of traditional Russian studies. Wow. Uh, and in between those then, I worked at Walmart and saved my money and went to uh, to do more language training in St. Petersburg, wow. Russia. Yep. Wow. So by the time I was applying for a master's program, um, I had made up some some lost ground uh-huh. on the language side, and then had also been to Russia. So, about how old are you at this point? Like mid twenties? Like I was twenty seven. Okay. When I entered my master's wow. program at Indiana University. So, do you speak Russian? I think at one point I felt a little <laughs> bit more comfortable saying that I was That's conversational. Um, but, you know, I always admired, and I would say that anybody listening to this um, who who has a little bit of a shy personality, mm-hmm. um, look, we're working with the confines of our own personality, but sometimes we let um, the fear of failing keep us from progress. So, mm-hmm. for example, the people who were doing really well in, in uh, language training didn't care how many mistakes they made. They just wanted to be out with the people mm-hmm. and learn as much as they could. I probably had a personality that was a little bit more timid and mm-hmm. afraid to fail. Um, and so I preferred to study in my, you know, my, my dorm room and learn that way. Yeah. Um, but it was a restriction. Um, and I would say that anybody... Um, you know, I guess in anything that we do in life, don't be afraid to fail because you'll, you'll progress a lot quicker that way. Yeah. Okay. So you spend some time, you, you go to school, you spend some time in Russia, you enter your grad school program. How long did that take you to finish? So it is a two year, okay. it's a two year program. However, I, in the middle of it, was awarded a Department of State affiliated fellowship for a year to go back to Russia. Oh wow! So then I spent okay. um, another year, uh, f- you know, with in, with that. Yeah. Wow, that's mm-hmm. crazy. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on your experience in yeah, Russia. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a great one. I started out in the very far east, like wow. you know, over by China, uh-huh. um, and then ended up in wow. Moscow, and then came back, finished my degree program. Wow. So you yep. finished. Okay, so you finished your degree program. What was your first job out after? You got your master's. Yeah, so I went back home to Alaska, um, filled with this vigor, thinking that, well, surely um, I will be able to use something Russia-related in Alaska, and it absolutely was not the, was not the case. Um, so I went old school. I uh, printed off my resume and just walked it around to the congressional offices, um, and I actually um, knocked on a door of somebody... I don't remember how I came in contact with this person. He was just nice enough to, you know, not throw me out. Um, <laughs> and I just said, hey, I'm, you know, I don't know that I mentioned my age, but at, at this point I'm about 28 years mm-hmm. old. I have a master's degree. But until that point, all of my, all of my um, work experience had been, uh, you know, I was a barista and I worked, um, you know, at Walmart yeah. and I had, you know, worked my first worked job. In was, for yeah, exactly. It's like you can, you can teach in a, in a, a, you know, a prestigious university and mm-hmm. it not mean anything. Right. right. So, um, 
so this guy, I think he was in economic developments or something at the state level, and I just said, here's my resume. Um, I'm back home. Like, what would you give me any advice as to where I should shop this around? Yeah. And so he said, well, why don't you shop it around at the congressional offices um, you know, start there. And so oh. I walked So was in. that your entrance into politics? Yeah. So wow. I, I worked for okay. um, our senior U.S. Senator, mm-hmm. uh, Ted Stevens, and I just walked into his Anchorage office and said, I'm looking for a job and here's my resume. And uh, I got a call back. And um, as anybody who's worked in the congressional, um, you know, arena knows it was it's never it's never good pay um Mm -hmm. but it that was that was my starting out and and that's the thing too that i would say like we have our culture breeds this idea that you got to be out of the womb and kicking you know what from day one Mm -hmm. and it's just not the case with some of us some of us take a little bit longer to get where we're supposed to be so it kind of was um you know there there was a sense of like everybody else my age is doing more important things and here I am 30 years old sitting in you know a congressional state office like answering constituent mail but I really did have a sense that even if my paragraphs that I was responding to constituents um you know maybe some people would look at that and be like well yeah like how hard is it to write like Mm -hmm. a paragraph back to somebody I started taking a lot of pride in how they were worded and written Mm -hmm. um because well they you know they probably weren't very important to anybody else except it was the only thing I could do right in front of me to excel at like what I was doing so even though you felt maybe like it wasn't the most important task you were going to do it 100% and like do it like the best that anyone had ever written these constituent letters yeah I remember like using well, that's good career advice for anybody uh, yeah, it, yeah you know because here's the thing like we sometimes we miss what we're supposed to be learning that mm-hmm. will equip us for the next job or the next experience because we're too we're too um we can't see, yeah. We, we can't see that like what we're doing right now matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer that like the base of your care, like you will only go so far as the base of your character will support. Um, and so I remember using a word in one of the letters I'd written. It was like imminent, and I had to like look up like what's the difference between imminent with an I and eminent with an yeah. E, and like <laughs> like because I really I wanted to, to that use too. that word in that you know in that short paragraph, and I was going to use it, and I was going to figure out the right way to use it. That's um, awesome. So yeah, so, so that's how long where, did you spend working uh, for the senator in his office? Yeah, there? so I, I at that point I kind of was was realizing that if I wanted to give. Um, you know, like the next level would probably be for me to come to D.C. And mm-hmm. so there was an opening in the office here in D.C. Okay. Uh, for a deputy press secretary. And so I did oh, that. Oh, so, wow. Okay, so to... I didn't know that um, that you worked in, in, out of D.C. for a Senator mm-hmm. Stevens. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. So how long were you here? And then what, like, what was your next jump after that? Yeah, so in this, and this goes back to um, do what we say and not what we do. Um I think I was frustrated that I didn't see a path to move more quickly up the ladder. And so I regret, and I did this wrong, I got a little bit impatient and, and moved jobs. And, I, and it was a calculated risk that I made um, that made some sense because I was going to a PR firm um, that was kind of headquartered out of Moscow and had oh, wow. a D.C. practice. Okay. And so 
it, you know, it made sense at the time, um, you know, because here I am, not sure, like, how I can even really advance in the place that I'm at. That was my first foray into comms work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet here was a firm in D.C. Uh, that specialized in Russia. And so wow. I, I did feel like I needed to at least give it mm-hmm. a little bit of a chance. Okay. Um, so did that for a little while. That actually took me back to Russia for a couple months. Wow. And then at that point Always I kind of... back to Russia. Yeah, and then at that point I kind of felt... Um, that maybe there were some closed doors maybe there. Maybe there were some closed doors there. Mm-hmm. And I, I found myself just saying, I'm in Russia, and it's cold, and this door is probably closing. Um, I probably have the opportunity, which we don't always have, to just kind of In fact, when I was um, trying to figure out what to bring back uh, to the United States, it was like, well, if I'm going to Hawaii, I certainly don't need this This jacket from the Gap that I thought I needed so badly, (laughs) the puffer jackets. Um, So anyway, I started then emailing. There was a Republican that happened to be the governor at the time, Linda Lingle. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And... um, just started like pestering her staff probably by saying wow. like hey I worked in uh, DC for Senator Stevens and mm. I do have con- like roots in Hawaii so did you just feel like so you looked on a map and said I want to move to Hawaii I would like to work there and there's a Republican governor so I'm just going to make it happen yeah exactly that's, that's cool yeah that's funny. Um, make your own and you know, it's, yeah. it's funny um, which we'll get to your New Mexico days too in a second but it's funny because you and Sarah like your paths intersect a little bit because she's worked in New Mexico oh, and wow. she just got done consulting in Hawaii. So you guys oh, will have a lot great. to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so how long um, did you work for the governor in Hawaii? Um, so I worked for her for probably a year and a half. Okay. And, and the reason that I left was that um, Senator Stevens was running for reelection uh-huh. um, and it looked like it was going to be a tough race. I remember that and one. And so... Um, I wanted to at least try to help my old boss. Yeah. And so um, kind of moved yep. moved back to Alaska gotcha. to, to work on that. Wow. And then um, after that race? Yep. That, that you, race was a loss. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people were just looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, Republican, I guess you could call us operatives. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, ended up getting a job in New Mexico uh, with the state party. So how was that? It was interesting. Um, I, I have Sarah really... has a good long history with the New Mexico GOP. Yeah, I do. Um, like a good decent history. <laughs> well, um, actually, I'd love to hear because um, I know obviously when you lose a race, there is kind of a frenzy to figure out. Oh my gosh, where am I going next? I'm going to mm-hmm. pepper everyone with my resume. Yep. Um, kind of walk through how the happenstance of ending up in New Mexico. Yeah, this is something that I don't talk much about. Um, <laughs> in fact, I don't think that my in-laws even know this, but I had a failed marriage prior. Mm. And so um, I found myself at the time trying to make that marriage work. And that person was from New Mexico, and and he felt like, you know, happiness doesn't lie anywhere outside the borders of that state. Mm. And uh, if probably, you know, 
maybe not verbalizing it just like that at the time, but it kind of seemed like if I was going to try to make this marriage work, um, I was going to find myself in the land of enchantment. And so <laughs> it was a personal uh, move out there. And then once yeah. I was there, I um, needed to get a job, and the state GOP needed somebody with some co- a comms background, and I had a little bit of experience in that, and that's, that's what um, brought me there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So then you jumped to Governor Martinez's office at some point. Yeah. So what was that like? And when she was elected, she was the first governor of New Mexico. So female governor. Female, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So did that carry any kind of sense like of of weight with her? Was it how significant was that um, with that race and that election and, and her? building her administration. Yeah, that actually was more of a seamless transition because <laughs> I had worked for the state party and that's how I got to know the governor. Okay. Um, I liked her on a personal level and was very excited that uh, you know somebody with Republican and conservative policies that, that made sense, I thought, for the state in terms of some fiscal responsibility mm-hmm. uh, had the opportunity. Um, I, I think it is significant. I am of Hispanic. I am Hispanic. I'm half mm-hmm. Mexican. Um, so I think there's a there's of course always a personal um, sense of you know excitement that that there are people going before us and kind of blazing new yeah. trails and so she did that. Um, but she's also somebody, and if any of you you know know her, she's somebody who uh, doesn't really like to be defined by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of wants her results and uh, the positions and policies and you know her own yeah. record to be able to stand alone outside of that. I, I, it's, I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I find um, a lot of times women on the right who are trailblazers are very hesitant to like embrace that mantle and make it kind of a centerpiece of their political identity, whereas um, you see a lot of female politicians on the left who are the exact opposite. And yep. it's, it's very much... I'm a woman, I'm, like, doing this, I'm breaking the glass ceiling, and, like, vote for me because of all these, like, reasons. Do you, do you, have you seen that, or does that sound yeah, familiar? Yeah, so what you're saying absolutely resonates with me, and you use the right word, which is identity, and mm-hmm. I think there is a reluctance, I will speak only on my own behalf, but I think there is a reluctance from some of us who feel like, um, we now are playing in the same sandbox that the that the left is. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all about identity. Well, some of us want to get into college because we're smart enough to get into that college and not because somebody was looking to check a box or right. a quota. Um, I am somebody who has benefited from these equal opportunity fellowships mm-hmm. and scholarships, et cetera. I needed the money. I don't, I don't come from a family that was going to be able to help me. So I, that's how I paid my way through mm-hmm. college. Um, but... That said, I think those um, those opportunities should be stepping stones to help level the playing field. Um, but I but I do think that that the association of um, you somehow overcoming these perceived barriers is something that the left likes to focus on. Yeah. Because I think my own personal belief would be, you know, and this and this gets into that idea of feminism. Mm-hmm. I'm not a feminist because. Somebody somewhere said that I have the right to now stand shoulder to shoulder with the man. I'm a quote unquote feminist because there's nobody that's going to tell me I don't deserve to be able to, whether it be cast a ballot mm-hmm. or run for office or pursue a career path that somebody says I shouldn't be there. So my sense of identity and 
you know, what feminism means is probably a little bit different, but it's kind mm-hmm. of grounded in this idea that why are you guys talking about equality? That 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 question was settled for me a long time ago. Right. I never was raised in a family that told me that I didn't belong at the table or that I couldn't do something because mm-hmm. I was a female. Um, but but I you know I don't I don't know if that answers no, your does, question in does. a very roundabout way. But <laughs> it's just something at. interesting that I've noticed, and, and sometimes I wonder if women on the right their hesitancy to kind of like embrace that mantle or the cause or the victimhood if you want to use that term like if maybe um it hurts us a little bit I don't know I don't know where I come down on it but I do um I like your perspective and and um it's something we have to grapple with um because we also have to recognize that everybody is different and just because I don't perceive um that being, you know, that the blood that courses through my veins was somehow a limitation, there Mm -hmm. might be somebody who does believe that. And so I want to be careful that I'm not, you know, projecting that none of us should feel this way because of X, Y, Z. I just happen to come from a very loving Mm -hmm. family that they always thought that I could do, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Um, But but it's it's definitely something that, that I think our party needs to grapple with because I believe right now, saying that I'm a Republican woman in certain circles is tantamount to being a traitor to my sex. Yes. And um, and I, I completely and wholeheartedly reject that notion. Yeah, I agree. And um, there's a certain level of empathy I think Republican women feel, not just our elected officials, but, you know, the base, the constituency, um, because they're, they're constantly grappling with, um, I know, I understand the other side, and I understand mm-hmm. why they think this way um you we just we have gone the i feel a step further to be like i because i feel like we've all gone through that moment where we're like oh man something terrible's happened to us sure. we know it was sexist in nature sure. and you're like great but that doesn't define us and we keep working forward um but we can still see the the stressors that it brings on entire Absolutely. individuals and that that really is the key right because um well, it doesn't even have to be about party. Human beings, fellow human beings, we should always be looking um, to try to empathize um, and to understand where somebody is coming from, even if that isn't our own experience, um, and hope that people do the same, give us that same break as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a firm believer that um, life all the way around would be better if we treated people better yeah. and we treated our neighbors like we're supposed to be treating them. Um, instead of kind of carving out this idea that that there is right and wrong and anybody who doesn't believe exactly the way I do, um, you know, needs to be kicked out of a circle. I just, I don't, yeah. I don't believe that. Do you ever find yourself questioning your republicanism or yeah. uh, as a woman and why am I in this party? Like, do you ever go through those mental somersaults? Especially I think right now. So. Yeah, but but again, and I don't want to get too uh, Jesus-y on everybody, but <laughs> I I really feel like uh, the more I started praying and spending time reading my Bible and reading Christian books, um, I got a revelation probably mm-hmm. about a year ago, and and many people like are born thinking this yeah. way, but. But it was like a burden had been lifted because I, it's like I all of a sudden got a revelation that Jesus isn't a Republican. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> oh, like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, 
that that kind of blew my mind mm-hmm. at the time. And so I would say, in answer to your question, have you ever wondered that? There has been just sort of a, a general like dismantling of my identity being so closely tied with a party. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I just I think that um, there are pros and cons in both parties. Obviously, I more you know closely align with um, being a Republican, and that's how I vote, and that's probably the way I will continue to vote. Um, but but less external. If the question mm-hmm. is, does what's going around around in Washington make you question whether you want to be a Republican? Yeah. It's more just that on a personal level, I was questioning like how much does my identity need to be wrapped up in a political party when. You know, if I am a disciple of Christ, he's mm-hmm. not of either of those parties and is probably calling us to do certain things that, that are outside of the yeah. political structure. So that's a little freeing. I could right. totally see yeah. that. Um, I don't know about you, but this time of year, I'm always reminded about how lucky I am to live in this country, and I look for ways to give back. This year, I learned about No Warrior Left Behind, a group dedicated to bridging the gap between first responders and our veteran community. No Warrior Left Behind is committed to honoring, saluting, and supporting the men and women in the military and the first responders in our community who volunteer to be in harm's way in order to serve and protect the safety and freedom of all Americans. To learn more about this organization and how you can get involved, visit www.nowarriorleftbehind.org. That's www.nowarriorleftbehind.org. So you spent the last few years in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll let you talk about that if you want to talk about it. Sure. Um, working in Republican politics. But I do also want to segue a little bit to do We just went through a midterm election, 2018. Um, to talking a little bit, I want to hear from you. You know, we went, Republicans lost women um, in the House this year. In Congress, I think we went down, we're down to like 13 members, mm-hmm. like women members of Congress. Um, I'll have to double check that number. But... Um, so we lost, and then the Democrats made huge gains with women. So if you were looking at this and to diagnose the problem or the reason for why that happened, yeah. what what would you say, um, just having been here and going through this midterm? Yeah, um, I'll answer that in two parts. The first okay. part is um, what brought me back to D.C. was I was living in New Mexico, um, and I met and fell in love with my husband, um, who is from the Northern Virginia area, and his job was bringing him back to D.C. And so I, I knew at that point that, that we were probably headed for marriage, and um, you know I, I moved to be closer to him. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to be hired uh, by the Republican Governors Association. Um, so that's how I got back to D.C. Um, the second part would be, and, and these are just my opinions and not, um, you know, attributable to, to the position that I that I um, have here in D.C., but I, I think that it goes back to what you were saying about what does the left find important, and the left has found important the personal narrative and the idea of... Um, who you are um, 
can be a qualifier to an office as opposed to um, maybe some on the right who would say, or the Republicans that would say, it's XYZ policies that I am embracing and that's why I'm running. Um, it, it just seems in my own perspective that the, the, that the left tends to run candidates that have a very compelling personal story. Um, and, you know, we're out there talking about Obamacare still. Um, and so I just think that, that um, it's hard to sell some of our ideas if folks out there are looking at what does the package look like. And we're trying to say... Hey, hey! Don't don't get you know don't don't be um, distracted. Yeah, don't be distracted by the by package. The package yeah. um, you know, if X Y Z, and and I think as as people are further and further from Washington D.C., it's harder for them to identify with like you know the the concept of a tax package. Like they need to, mm-hmm. they will figure out if that's important to them by looking at their actual paycheck, right? And mm-hmm. so I think sometimes we, um, you know, the struggle is always going to be how do you take policy ideas and make them meaningful to the person who is walking into a voter booth? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, without seeing kind of the, some of the evidence of the particulars of the specific races that were lost, um, in the house, uh, I, you know, I don't know that I'm qualified to, to comment on why that was or why that wasn't. Mm-hmm. But what I do know is, if you have strong candidates um, who are principled and who um, do what they tell their constituents they are going to do, they tend to be returned to office. If you have candidates that start waffling um, based on how the winds are blowing a particular day. Um, my guess is that you would have a hard time going back to your constituency asking them to return you. And, and you know, one thing that we probably all see a little bit in politics that we wish wasn't there is uh, whenever someone feels entitled to holding an office, they're not there serving the people, but they believe they did all the right things to be sent to Washington, I think voters get pretty tired of feeling like, um, they are there to serve the elected official mm-hmm. instead of the elected official, elected official being there to serve the people. Um, but I think it's yeah, something that, that we're going to we're going to have to look at as a party and probably ask ourselves. Um, you know, my guess is that there are certain groups on the left that do get involved in primaries, mm-hmm. and um, their their long term objective might be a little different than than just can I win the race? It might be, no, we, we need more women in politics, which is something that I actually agree yeah. with. Um, with your job with the RGA, you are responsible for working with a lot of female executives. Um, what kind of, what is your role in working with them, coaching them to, especially when they're running for re-election, to make sure to mitigate those types of things? Or um, when new new candidates come into the field, how do you work with them and their teams directly to make sure that they're hitting some of these points? Yeah, well, as you know, um, when you're talking about somebody that's running for governor, 
um, it's a pretty high caliber type of person. Um, so, so the fortunate thing is that these people are successful in their own right. They don't need, you know, coaching or that type of help. They may be new to politics and, um, We, you know, at the RGA, it's an organization that doesn't get involved in primaries. We believe that that is best. Those decisions are best left uh, to the states themselves. Um, But what the organization does do is, um, you know, provides help maybe on like the... um, on the polling side of things, they will be probably be working with talented enough pollsters to be asking those questions. Um, so it's less it's less from the organization's standpoint, like oh, we need to tell them because they don't, they are unaware that that certain issues matter. It's more just providing the the, the infrastructure to be supportive of candidates uh, that are running under the the GOP banner uh, at that top of the ticket. Yeah. And working with both men and women head executives of different states, have you noticed any difference between their styles and their ability to uh, talk about the quote-unquote women problem that we have? Well, I think the governors, and maybe I'm biased, but, you know, when you're talking about the the quality of the individual that's been asked, you know, to entrusted with leading an entire state. These people are very impressive. Um, and so it, it, I haven't seen, oh, the guys act like this and the females act like this. Um, I have seen the individual maybe personalities um, differ a little bit, but, but I don't think that that's necessarily related to sex. I think that that is related to these are just different people from different states with different, you know, personalities and values. And um, and it's I feel it makes the caucus stronger when you have um, that diversity of voices talking about issues um, within the Republican Party, because you're going to have somebody from a deep red state. Um, that's going to uh, be one way on certain issues, and then you're going to have a moderate from a blue state that is going to see those issues a little differently. So mm-hmm. I think that having as many females at the table is always helpful because I think those women bring a unique perspective. Um, but, but you know, I, I don't think that there's – I've seen any evidence of, you know, men act this way, females act this way. Yeah, and I, I from my experience, I feel like that is the same mentality many – um, high-functioning women in the party take as well. Do you think that helps or hurts when we are talking about the how we market ourselves to the you constituents? Mean ourselves being the party? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that people tend to... Um, we're always looking for common ground, right? And so I think that there sometimes is a tendency to want to vote for somebody who like shares our values, looks like us, acts like us, because we can identify. That, that feels like a known quantity. Um, and so I think that by having more women, it signals that um, the stereotypes that maybe have been kicked around about the party being old white men who don't care about issues that you care about, uh, you being the female voter. Um, I think that having more women automatically then diffuses that, that, that and neutralizes that question. Um, I am a female Hispanic. So if you sat me next to an older Caucasian gentleman and then said, 
um, you know, only one, you know, like one of you belongs in the party and one of you don't, doesn't, uh, that, that wouldn't resonate with me because I know I'm in that party. But for somebody who might be more distant from that, uh, and all they hear is, um, you know, the Republican Party is for taking things away and they, they don't talk about what they stand for, but they talk about what they're against. Um, you know, that, that person might not know without seeing a governor, um, Nikki Haley, or a mm-hmm. governor, Susana Martinez, a governor, Linda Lingle, that there are people who care about the issue she cares about um, because they're just not close enough to it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. What would you say, in your personal view, would be the best way to recruit more female Republican you know, candidates. Here's the thing, like, like we, so obviously we want to make sure that there are not uh, barriers to entry, right? Um, but outside of that, we've got to ask ourselves what kind of job we're trying to sell them on, right? Like, if you know, if I if I try to market uh, a bag of dog crap to you and say, don't you want this? Don't you want this? Don't you want this? Like, like that ought to be, we've got to start asking questions about what are these, these things that we're trying to sell women. Um, I just, out of a personal curiosity had been reading a lot this year about, um, you know, some polling that had come out that said that, um, you know, on the, the right, on the, the right end of the political spectrum that, People weren't really wanting to run, but on the left there was this engagement and this enthusiasm, and you know what the right isn't doing it, and uh, you know they're going to get crushed in all of the elections moving forward. But when you started to ask, I, I just informally asked all of my female friends. I sent out like a mass email and kind of with a series of questions. I didn't have one person that said that sounds like an attra- running for office sounds like an attractive job that I would like to. Try it, you know, like um, try out for. Uh, most of the responses were, "I have a family," or "Who would want to put themselves through that?" Um, I don't want to get up there and have people criticizing what I wear and what I look like. Um, you know, so it was like they were content, feeling successful and ambitious and smart in the realms that they were already in Mm -hmm. and kind of didn't need this as a feather in their own cap to say like oh for my personal ambition I also want to be you know an office holder a lot of them are like I don't want to do that um and so you know maybe figuring out what you know, the, all of these jobs are different, right? If you're talking about a local office holder versus the U.S. House of Representatives, those are very different jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's hard to sell something that seems so unappealing. I think that that uh, women wanting to run for governor um, are all going to be individual in the reasons that they want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what our job should be... Um, is to make sure that there aren't barriers to entry so that we're making it tough for women mm-hmm. uh, to run. That said, I think people need to decide, like, if, if what we're saying is that the left is playing identity politics and, and, we're, um, and we don't want to do that, then trying to whip up a bunch of women to run just for the sake of saying that we've got them too, guys, we've got them, um, I'm not sure that that really, you know, like gets us to the yeah. place we want to be. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, there are so many programs out there that are like, go run, and you get all these women together, and they get all fired up, and then they're just kind of like, okay, well now what? And I don't know what to do. 
And like you said, it's it's kind of like a marketing problem. The yeah. people the people that we can get in the room that say, okay, I'll do it, but then it's like, okay, what? There's no what infrastructure now? to support them at that point. E- even if you get a qualified or good female candidate to throw their hat in the ring, it's like, what what next? Like, how do we get her through the primary? Um, what kind of organizations or infrastructure is there to support her? I feel like the left has done a really good job of that. There are a ton of groups on the left, I think, that like help and support specifically women candidates. Yeah, I was actually um, at a lunch this week, and I was really heartened because I realized that there were a lot more that there were a lot more groups than I initially thought that were seeking to address this problem. Maybe what the question we could be asking is, where is the umbrella that seeks to coordinate all of these different efforts so that we kind of know that we're all rowing in the same direction? Um, when we throw out names like Planned Parenthood and Emily's List, those are, those are big names that everybody kind of knows what they do and what they stand for. But you know some of the na- some of the the groups um, that I heard from that I was that I was listening to uh, just earlier this week, like I, I had never heard of them. I don't think that's th- that's my fault. Um, that's not you know theirs. Well, they're I just probably think relatively our- new. I'm guessing. Yeah, but, I think, I mean, and some of them, one of them had been around for okay. quite some time, but they, they had a very specific niche, like very specific, gotcha. we work with candidate or we work with elected officials um, in, you know, the House or the gotcha. Senate or something like that. So, um, but the, so I think the question is, how do we identify all of these um, groups who share the similar goal of providing the infrastructure, right? Because um, at that point we're saying infrastructure is a barrier to entry. And if we land on that, how do we reduce that barrier? Okay, well, we put the infrastructure in place. Um, then, you know, because you, you do have certain party committees that, that uh, in the general election are very supportive. Mm-hmm. If a candidate is viable, um, you know, at the, NR, at the congressional committee or here mm-hmm. at the governor's level at the RGA, um, every effort is made to to help that candidate, so <laughs> it's there. But I think I think what we might be saying is women specific. That then that then entails a commitment in the primary process yeah. to get that woman out. And I don't know of a I don't I don't I and I'm, I'm literally saying I don't know um, how many groups there are there out there that plan. do that. Yeah, um, because the, you know there are some groups that are going to say. We don't care if we are seen as playing favorites and putting the, our thumb on the scale of who's getting out of these primaries because we think it is so important that more people that are sitting in Congress or state houses um, look like our faces. Yeah. Um, so if we if we agree that that is the the future of the party, then I think it's we you know folks better start getting ready to play mm-hmm. in primaries, and yeah. that's something I think that sounds um, appealing, but when it comes down to the actual execution is a little bit more difficult. Um, my husband is a, you know, a fantastic human being, and I, he will never run for office and has no desire to do so, but I, as his wife, would be offended if a group came in, if he ever were to raise his hand mm-hmm. and say, I would like to serve you know, my country by doing X, Y, Z and running for office. I personally, as his wife, would be offended if a group came in and said, no, based on your sex, we are now discriminating against you. Yeah. And you are, you know, like we are going to spend money and resources we, to take so you out of funny you say that because we were just talking about this on an earlier episode of just this this problem of, yes, we want to support women candidates and we need more 
women Republicans in office. That's a great thing that we both endorse, of course. Um, but it is kind of gets into like a catch twenty two situation if if you have a qualified man like why do we really want to be seen as backing women just just because they're women when we just went through a presidential election where we all said we're not going to vote for her just because she's a woman don't tell us that we should so are we doing the exact same thing if we yeah. put, continue to, if we start putting our, our scale on the finger I well guess. and this is where scale i think your finger on the scale i think <laughs> that it goes back to like each person has an individual set of values. And so your value system probably would be violated if if the mm-hmm. situation just happened, where a man was discriminated against solely for the fact that he had different body parts, yeah. right? Um, so, and that's, that's your internal compass that's saying, hey, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there are going to be other people who say, no, the fact that things have been so lopsided for so long, even if it seems unfair... There are certain measures that need to be undertaken to level that playing field. And if people get hurt, if people get offended by it, so be it. But we need to do these things um, because the greater good is accomplished regardless of the means. So I think it just comes down to the individual as to like what you think, um, you know, what is the bigger goal that we're we're getting at? And and obviously some um, feel that the the best Regardless of the means, the end outcome that everyone wants to see are more female faces. Um, so that's so them deciding. You get there. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think that um, there probably are smart people who are looking and more qualified than than I am certainly, but that are looking at this and probably going back to the very local levels of government, saying what turns women off and when. Um, some of the, the research that I was reading just for fun over um, this past year uh, explored that idea of when do women, you know, when is it an equal playing field in the sense that boys and girls express interest in running for office? Where does that diverge and what happened to make that, you know, mm-hmm. to cause that split? And so there's some evidence, at least, you know, the, the article that I was reading was saying that some of the evidence was leading people to believe that um, it, when people graduate high school, um, there there's probably a similar level of interest and, mm-hmm. and um a similar level of confidence and ability to hold that type of a job and that somewhere probably in that first year of college things start splitting a little bit Mm -hmm. um you know we've all read articles or the book lean in that talks about you know how how certain yeah (laughs) how certain a woman needs to feel in order to even go for a job that they're qualified for it and um, you know that a man of maybe even lesser ability feels just as confident to go for that same job. Um, but then you start getting into people and yeah. like, what is it about you know little Amanda that doesn't feel confident? <laughs> when why? How come little Jack does? Yeah. Um, yeah. And at that point, that's you know we have we have there's uh, only greatly, so much like the party can do right, about have, stuff like that. Just to kind of um, wrap up a little bit. How do you feel about the future of the Republican Party and women? Do you feel optimistic? What would you like to see, I guess, change in the next couple of years? Well, and this this is just my own personal opinion, and they're going to, you know, somebody could easily argue me out of this, but um, I feel that we need to figure out what we stand for. Mm -hmm. Um, I hear 
and this again is my own personal opinion, but as I am going to a voting booth in 2020, I want I want an optimistic picture about the future, and I want a roadmap to get there. Um, the the talk about so and so is horrible because of such and such, blah 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 personally doesn't resonate with me um and so i i worry that um we don't know enough about the voters to really know what's like causing them to vote either in favor of somebody or not because i'm not sure that we can extrapolate from polling data that that person would be voting for um, a different candidate, except that um, you know they were angry about healthcare issues, et cetera. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, like, totally. like at some point, the issues that people care about—we're all selfish human beings. Like, mm-hmm. I care about what happens to my paycheck based on a policy that is passed in Washington D.C. I care about. Um, you know, my ability to hold a job and keep a job without government interference. I, you know, I, I want to vote for a position and a platform that makes it easier for small businesses to do business instead of seeing them as a way to enrich the, you know, mm-hmm. tax collections. Um, but those are my personal values. So I think that looking at 2020, um, we need to get a little clearer about the issues that matter and figure out if those issues really align with our party. If everybody, if, if there is a, if there is a um, focus group that is conducted that says um, on a particular social issue that, you know, all guns should be confiscated immediately, what are we going to do as a party? Are we going to then change the values of the party to fit that? Or are we going to figure out and do some soul searching to say, this is what we really care about. Um, we care that people have the right to live in safe communities and uh, earn a paycheck and keep as much of that as they can for the future. And that um, a safety net is there when people absolutely need it, but it shouldn't be abused. Uh, you know, I think that there are principles out there that mm-hmm. we could be talking about. Unfortunately, you can't you you can't say that the messenger doesn't matter because yeah. the messenger does matter, um, and so I think as we much need as to, the message. I think I sometimes think. more. I yeah. mean, if we're talking earlier about what the package looks like, um, you know that that's just that's just the nature of who we are mm-hmm. as humans. We judge the book by its cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, to end on a happy note, what are you really optimistic about for the future? Of, it could be politics. It could be just personal. Yeah. Personal. Yeah. You know, I feel like we have more in common as human beings than um, than we have. Uh, un, you know that that we lack in commonality. And I feel like um, in my own personal life, in my own personal relationships, there had been this kind of backlash. Um, I feel like about a year and a half ago where you were on one side or the other and all of a sudden it was very okay to be badgering you about who you voted for and why and how can you be a woman and um, not support the right to choose and how can you be a woman and not support your sisters that are marching in the streets with hats. Um, and, I, and I feel like it was hard as a, as a female Republican 
Um, I felt like we were on the defense a lot. But some real personal freedom occurred when I stopped having those conversations and the friendships and the relationships that only wanted to talk about that. Um, I maybe didn't didn't prioritize those as much as the person that, that we never talked about that. Mm-hmm. That, 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 you know, it was more just hey, do you want to go for a run? Hey, what are you doing? Um, you know, what is your personal life looking? Because at some point we have reduced human beings to the to who they voted for. And you're either for me or against me. Um, so I'm optimistic that actually, as Americans, there's more that unites us than divides us. And But that calls for a little bit of personal responsibility. So we can't then say, you've got to be tolerant to my positions, but I'm not going to be tolerant to yours. Um, that tolerance streak goes both ways. So probably just elevating a conversation um, of what we can agree on instead of what we disagree on. Um, I'm hopeful because I do see some examples of that you know I I feel like people are getting fed up with their own crap right um they're in the trenches (laughs) they're you know like we're we've been fighting a good fight and then it's like are you telling me that I can't be friends with my neighbor based on who we voted for like aren't we all tired of this um and so I, I think that I think that that's the real hope is that we're Americans. We yeah. share more than we, uh, you know, than that divides us. I've already said that, but I, I'm hopeful that that is the discourse, and we all need to take personal responsibility. We're all pointing at somebody else, saying, you know, they're they shouldn't be saying X, Y, Z. Well, how are we talking about things in our personal conversations, in our private conversations? Are we saying, you know, are we part of the problem? And until we're ready to look in the mirror as a party and as humans and say. Okay, I can't just change the world. I got to change what I'm looking at right here. Then I think we're just constantly going to be, you know, chasing after voters not not based on whether or not they align with our values, but just because we want to mm-hmm. win. And I personally don't want to be involved if it's just about I win, you lose, and the only thing that mattered is that I won and you lost. Because exactly. then you're yeah. just like a horrible human being, yeah. and you should reevaluate what you know, like what you're. You doing. just happen to be working in politics, and you're a horrible human being, yeah. and probably need to like, <laughs> and probably need oh to gosh, you know I do some that. soul searching about mm-hmm. why you suck at life. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. I love that. What an optimistic note to end on. I love yes. it. Yes. Don't um, suck at life if you take one thing from this. <laughs> be a good human. Yes. All right. I love that. Be a good human. Be a good human. Thank you so much, Janelle, yeah, I appreciate for it. being here. This I, is wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate right. it. Take Until care. Until next time. Bye.